Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain. Maybe you think they're just part of getting older, but Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all connect to menopause. It's at the root of dozens of symptoms we experience, not just hot flashes. Midi clinicians are menopause experts offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. This is the Graceful Atheist Podcast. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Graceful Atheist Podcast. My name is David, and I am trying to be the Graceful Atheist. Please consider joining the Deconversion Anonymous Facebook group. We're trying to build a safe place to land for those people who are questioning, deconstructing, and deconverting. You can find that at facebook.com slash groups slash deconversion. Time for a correction. I probably should do this more often, but last week's guest, Tom, wanted me to clarify something. I said something to the effect of Tom sharing his experiences in the Transcendental Meditation Movement and what pushed him out. Tom wanted to clarify that he still participates in Transcendental Meditation. He no longer accepts the off-grid claims, and he says this specifically, and this is a quote from him. In the Transcendental Meditation Movement, he came to decline to believe in the extraordinary claims that have commonly been held by many TM adherents. Apologies to Tom for the inaccuracy there. Hopefully that expresses what Tom actually feels. Special thanks to Mike T for editing today's show. I have to provide a content warning. Our guest today, Julia, is incredibly vulnerable and incredibly honest in her account of a very difficult pregnancy a lot of hell anxiety, religious trauma, as well as grief over the loss of her mother. Just a lot in this story. So if you're in a vulnerable place right now, you might want to skip this one. Julia lives in Germany, grew up in the Lutheran church, and then began to be very serious about Christianity, even coming to the United States as an exchange student and becoming much more evangelical in her religious experience. Julia married her husband, who was the son of a charismatic Christian artist in Germany and thought that she had reached the pinnacle of what she wanted to be in a Christian marriage. While she was pregnant with her first child, it was a very, very difficult pregnancy that had lots of complications. And it came down to whether God's promises to protect her were true or not. Julia also went into the medical field herself and ultimately left medicine in order to be a part of a charismatic healing ministry the healer in her her desire to heal other people moved her that much and then also julia has just a very expressive way about describing her deconstruction and real anger that she felt toward god you can find julia's work on instagram 
at Painful Post-Christian Prayers. Here is Julia to tell her story. Julia, welcome to the Graceful Atheist Podcast. Well, thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Thank you for reaching out. I understand you've been listening to the podcast and it's been a little bit helpful for you in this process. So uh, thank you for joining us. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Yeah, I've been listening to your podcast for a while. And yeah, I at this time, I kind of felt that it was I was ready to kind of share my story and to contribute something and give something back. So I'm really excited to be here and be able to talk to you. Excellent. Well, Julia, we, we always begin with what was your religious tradition growing up? Yeah, so um, I'm actually talking to you from Berlin, Germany. Um, it's the middle of the night here. And so I'm super excited that we um, managed to get together at the correct time. Yes. Um, so I was uh, born and raised in Berlin. And um, you have to understand that Germany is is a very different kind of way of life and um, culture than the United States, especially uh, concerning like religion and faith um, yeah. is handled very differently in Germany. And so, um, yeah, I, my parents were not religious. Yeah. Not religious at all. My dad was an outspoken atheist or still is. And my mom used to, yeah, just do the traditional Lutheran state mm-hmm. church thing. Uh, yeah, my parents were born in the uh, 1950s, so that was right after the Second World War, pretty much. And so they mm-hmm. were kind of living in post-war Germany, and that was just the thing you did uh, back then. Uh, you were part of a church community, and that was also part of just surviving, you know, the right. post-war yeah. period. And yeah, so, um, but then I was born uh, in the middle of the 1980s, and yeah, I never really felt that there was any religious upbringing in in our family. And um, the first time I even, you know, thought about religion and these types of things was in actually in elementary school where religion is actually like a a school subject that Ah. is actually taught in school. I think it's voluntary, so you don't have to, but um, for some reason I was signed up to to go to you know religion class and I had a really good teacher like she was really talented and she you know told us bible stories and stuff and yeah um so I I I just kind of loved that I loved her storytelling ability and um you know some of the bible stories are just really it's easy to engage children and you know the story of David or the and Goliath or the the story of Joseph um, and his 12 brothers and yeah so I kind of had like a positive um, view of of faith and and religion, but I also realized that my dad was like super anti. Uh, <laughs> okay. and, yeah, and and even then it started that he was kind of like you know ridiculing me a little bit for ah. uh, for having an interest even in in religious topics. I would say. So um, there was already a kind of like a conflict in, you know, within me. It's like I was kind of interested in that type of stuff, but I also sensed the, that it would probably earn me a lot of ridicule from my dad um, if I were to pursue that. And so, yeah, that was a struggle for me early on. And 
um, towards the end of my elementary school time, me and my classmates, we would all go to what we call confirmation classes. So in Germany, it's, it's, it's usual that a, a, a person gets baptized as a baby and then they confirm that decision that their parents made for them by uh, a Christian ceremony called confirmation. And so you, yes, yeah. You, you, yeah, you go to those classes for a while and then there's a ceremony that's performed. Uh, performed and you kind of rededicate or yeah affirm the decision that your parents made for you and I actually was not baptized as a baby because of my um, yeah atheist dad okay all right <laughs> and so and so then I need to get baptized first and then I needed to go to confirmation I see and, yeah there's an order of operations yes <laughs> <laughs> and I liked uh, you know being part of that community and I like the people there I like being part of a group and so it was actually kind of really important for me. And I remember struggling about, you know, the kind of ridicule and the disdain I felt my dad having towards that religion, which kind of made it more interesting for me, I suppose. Yeah. Um, and I was like, what did happen to him in his childhood or whatever that he's so anti? Why is he so angry at a God that he doesn't believe exists? And so, yeah. And then um, I went to, yeah, would what you would call, I guess, junior high. And then um, it's kind of usual that 11th grade in Germany is kind of like an in-between kind of transition phase that a lot of people use to go to um, to go abroad and study um, somewhere else for a year. And so I applied and um, was uh, able to actually spend my junior year of high school in the United States. And so... Um, yeah, I went to the States in, I think, yeah, 2003. And uh, you usually stay with a host family during that time. And so uh, that family was part of the First Baptist Church. <laughs> and so going to church regularly was uh, just part of their regular family life. And in the beginning, I absolutely, totally loved it because it was so different than what I was used to. Like, you know, have, having a guitar and uh, and stuff and drums on stage would have been unthinkable. <laughs> <laughs> okay, <laughs> the right. I came from and yeah. everything was so modern and so contemporary. And so there was so much display of emotion and stuff. And I was just blown away. And I think I also had a slight crush on the youth pastor. <laughs> <laughs> Always the way. <laughs> yeah. um, and so I was really fascinated and really, I, I loved it. And I couldn't wait to go to church, uh, you know, every Sunday and then Wednesdays for youth group and stuff and just being part of it and being able to, you know, just explore faith without this constant condescension um, was just so interesting for me. And I, I really didn't need to be convinced. You know, I liked it. I loved it. And I was like, oh, faith can look like this. And yeah. And I don't think there are any real Christians in Germany. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, which is kind of odd when you think about, you know, that Europe actually exported Christianity. Yes. Yeah. Something about the Reformation. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I remember, I think it was around December. So I, I uh, moved to the States in August and then around um, the Christmas time. Um, I remember being in a youth group meeting and my youth pastor is going, 
brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain. Maybe you think they're just part of getting older, but Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all connect to menopause. It's at the root of dozens of symptoms we experience, not just hot flashes. Midi clinicians are menopause experts offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. It's like, you know, I really want to encourage you to invite your friends to youth group because if you don't bring them here, they're going to go to hell. Oh, wow. <laughs> I was yeah. like, oh my God, you can't yeah. be serious about this. And because I was kind of like, you know, the Lutheran tradition, I grew up in was more on the universalist side of things. Sure, I sure. Think. And I was just totally shocked. And um, so then I started like bombarding my host family with questions, whether they actually really truly believed that and what hell was and stuff. And I think they believe in eternal conscious torment. So yeah, okay. I was shocked. And that um, actually sent me spiraling into a panic attack because I, you know, I had oh, already yeah. experienced that type of, uh, faith experience in their in their community in their congregation and I had experienced something that I felt was strong and real and interesting and yeah and then so I thought okay this is probably the true form of Christianity and then this and so I thought oh my god the world is lost I need to get saved uh, and, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then I need to save everybody else including my family so I really had a serious panic attack um how, how old uh, were you again this was I was 17 at 17 the time. yeah that's mm -hmm. that's quite a lot to put on the shoulders of a 17 year old yeah, yeah. yeah and I you know I'm uh oh yeah I should have mentioned I um I'm the oldest of two siblings so I have a younger brother and I kind of even, you know, in my family of origin, I always had the kind of like the more responsible and very yeah. um, perfectionistic type of um, role. And so I was like, oh, my God, we need to tell people. <laughs> and, um, yeah. And so I prayed the prayer, I think, like 20 times or so, because I was never sure whether it had actually worked. That's very common. And, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and um it might have been, I don't know, my OCD tendencies showing up. <laughs> um, so, yeah. And um, and then I was like, oh, my God, my family's not saved. And what am I going to do? So I really, you know, I'm, I'm very, at that time, I was a really black and white thinker. And so I sure. just dove headfirst into Christianity. And I read the Bible from front to cover, you know, cover to cover and um, front to back. And I we went to a Christian bookstore regularly and I would buy piles of books and just read apologetics. And I really struggled because I never was sure whether I had enough faith to be uh, saved. And okay. so I went back and forth between this. Oh, I think I believe, but I'm afraid of hell. And I believe that. So I probably do have enough faith and I pray the prayer. And did I pray with enough faith and going back and forth? Um, that was just really exhausting. Oh um, man, I bet. <laughs> going through that plus you know the language uh was hard for well not hard for me at the time but it was it had it came with more just um you know mental uh, power that went towards doing everything in english and yeah and the isolation i imagine no one's speaking to you in german and that probably feels pretty lonely well yeah 
I didn't really feel lonely because I was okay. immediately part of the community. But um, and I did, did talk to my parents on the phone regularly, but still, um, I also felt like a growing um, distance to Germany and the German way of okay. life because I was like so totally involved in um, in my family, in my church, and yeah, yeah. so um, yeah, and so I've, but the. Uh, but the fear and the dread was kind of a very lonely experience. So I remember, you know, lying awake at night and trying to figure this thing out. I even had thoughts like, oh, I need to be really super sure about the salvation thing before I go back, because what if my plane crashes type thing? <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> um, yeah. So I was, I don't know. It felt way too serious for, you know, the 17 year old, just trying to, explore the world and not even sure about anything yet and yeah so yeah um but i took everything super seriously and uh was super committed and was reading and so i was like totally indoctrinated by the time i <laughs> returned um okay. and it was really a big struggle for me because now i was like super serious about faith and uh my dad was kind of ridiculing me for it and wow. stuff and i was facing this you know uh, this inner struggle of like, wait, no, you need to listen to me. You need to get saved um, type yeah. thing. And so then I felt like really lonely back, uh, back home. And um, I joined actually an international Baptist church here in Berlin because that actually exists. And so I okay. walked into that church, like the first uh, time I visited them and they were like, it seemed to me like, so, oh, I'm back in America. Everything's in English. And okay, they're singing okay. the same uh, modern worship songs. Oh, interesting. Stuff. It was in English. Yeah, yeah. Because okay, it was an yeah. international church. Uh -huh. I see. Okay, okay. Yeah. And so I was like, hmm, so I guess there are real Christians in Germany. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. And so, yeah, I completed my high school time, graduated. And then um, uh, I had during the time in the States, I had kind of decided that obviously now I need to take my face super seriously. And so I need to become a doctor and then be a missionary type thing. So I started med school. Um, okay. Wow. Um, yeah. In 2007, I started med school and in med school met a person, a girl uh, that I kind of befriended. And she also was an evangelical Christian that was part of like a, a jerk. German Swiss type movement of churches and um so she invited me to her church and like oh nice I have a Christian friend in med school now that's great we can pray together type thing um and so yeah I visited her church and met a guy there <laughs> who later then uh, became my husband so that's where I met him So we started kind of, you know, dating, going out, and he actually happened to be the son of a relatively popular Christian singer songwriter in Germany, okay. Okay. which I did not figure out until we were already kind of seeing each other. And so that was crazy. Um, but for me, this was like, oh, the dream come true. You know, I was like, oh, I'm marrying into a Christian family. Well, that's the best yeah. thing that could have <laughs> happened to me. Okay. Okay. Because, you know, that's the dream for the Christian girl, right? To yeah. Yes. That's that's your only well option. And, yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 
so some say they go to school to earn an MRS degree. That's uh, right. <laughs> a ring by spring or your money yeah. back. Yeah. <laughs> uh, which not talking about it now, it's like, oh my goodness. I yes. uh, <laughs> fuck purity culture. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Oh, I should um, have asked, do I get to cuss on you, your you podcast? To, yeah, you can be you can express yourself. Absolutely. Okay, great. <laughs> And so anyway, so um, uh, so we were seeing each other and I had very, very certain ideas about how this was going to go down and, you know, very uh, clear expectations of how this relationship was to proceed. And my uh, boyfriend at the time, yeah, uh, I just kind of assumed that he's a Christian and he's this the son of this Christian singer, songwriter, pastor type person. Like he must be, you know, the deal like the real the real christian very, very deal. dedicated yeah yes yeah. um and so i kind of just assumed that uh, he had the same ideas about courtship and stuff and, and we read the joshua harris books and oh my goodness oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> right. um, and so at some point i realized that he did not see things exactly the same way as i did and um okay. so he wasn't you know that interested into moving into like into the next steps of the relationship really quickly. So I was kind of getting desperate because I felt like, okay, so I'm in this position of the Christian girl who is expected to not do anything and wait and pray uh, for, you know, God to show him the right time to kind of pop the question type thing. And, <laughs> yeah. You know, we were young, we were in love. We wanted to have sex. I mean. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I you like, were normal human beings. Yeah. Uh -huh. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, how is how is this not a problem for him? Why isn't he, you know? Yeah. And yeah. he's like, why? I like our relationship now. We don't have to. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> I'm dying. <laughs> yeah. And um, yeah. And so that led to growing frustration. And I was like, I was starting to resent the way this was happening. And I felt like this Christian role that I was trying to press myself into was really causing me to be in a really bad place because I was super yeah. dependent. I didn't have any um, possibility to make decisions for myself. And, um, and I hated it, but I thought I had to do this because this was what God expected of me. And so this actually led to my kind of trying to sort of pressure him but not too openly because that wasn't, you know, allowed. And so, uh, <laughs> yeah. um, and so then we finally did get engaged, which then led to me having another panic attack because I realized, wait, something's totally off. Something went wrong. This, this didn't go at all. Like I in, envisioned it to go and I didn't want it to be like this. Um, and so I, I got really sick and really, uh, needed to kind of take a break and um, sort out what was happening. And I even, you know, sought the help of a counselor and did some therapy to kind of figure out what was happening. Um, because I had like, a, I had a super strong bodily reaction somehow to yeah. realizing, okay, I'm in the situation and I should be going ahead, but I don't want to. But on the other side, I do want to. And yeah. Anyway, yeah. so I was super conflicted, but I couldn't figure out why. And um, with the help of counseling, I kind of, uh, yeah, got on top of the, the, the health problem that I was developing. And so at some point, we actually did go ahead with our 
wedding and I was by the time I also had I was fine with it and but I I was still like convinced that we were you know this Christian couple and we even in our uh, wedding vows we had this oh yeah we're gonna you know chase after God together type thing right um, Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. And so I thought, yeah, we are going to be this really committed Christian couple changing the world for God. And um, yeah, so that was kind of the way we started our Christian marriage. <laughs> right, right. Okay. <laughs> yeah. And so, yeah, and we started attending his church together then. And um, after a while, I started just being really frustrated with with church and how things were being done at this particular type of church and mm -hmm. uh there were some theological things i didn't agree with and at some point i just told him it's like you know what i think i'm not gonna go to this church anymore i just can't it's it's triggering me too much and he was like so well if you don't go anymore i won't go either <laughs> and so <laughs> okay. we both quit going to church um uh -huh. And for, but for me, it was still clear that I'm, I'm still a Christian. I'm still super committed. I pray, I read the Bible. I know God is real type thing. Um, and for my husband, it seemed a little different. Like he had a different experience. Um, I should maybe say he grew up in a Christian home and he, his, um, his parents actually went to like the super charismatic Christian Bible school in Texas for okay. a while when right. he was small. And then he, he also returned to do his own uh, training uh, in that very charismatic school in Texas. Okay, uh, okay. And I think at that point he had already kind of seen through some of the, you know, the emotional manipulation and the things that were kind of not so nice, I, w I should say. Yeah. When you see behind the curtain, so to speak, yeah. of how, how things are done and like, even worship becomes mm -hmm. fairly manipulative, mm -hmm. uh, especially if you're in ministry, you get to, you see that part and it's hard to unsee. Yeah, yeah, it's hard to unsee. Very true. So I think he had already kind of had this, you know, disillusionment with charismatic Christianity, which I had 
up until that point, not even touched. So I, you know, I came from this Lutheran tradition and then the Baptist tradition, which is not charismatic at all. Um, and so that was kind of still where I was at. I had never spoken in tongues and not done any of that charismatic, charismania type of stuff. We were just kind of not going to church anymore. I was continuing my education. And at some point I um, actually got pregnant um, and miscarried after I think eight weeks or so. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. Which I didn't realize was a very common thing to happen, mm -hmm. uh, yeah. especially with, you know, first pregnancies, I guess. And so, um, but it just totally caught me off guard because I didn't think that was going to happen to me because I felt like, you know, I'm a Christian, I'm under God's protection. Right. And so, right. um, and it's not something that's frequently talked about. So I did know one woman from our church though, uh, uh, that I used to attend that at some point I had heard that she had actually mis miscarried at some point. And so I was like, okay, I'm going to call her and ask about this because I was really upset. And it was yeah. kind of like, why did God let this happen to me? Uh, question. And so I talked to her and she, she did say that she was sorry. And, but she also said something like, well, maybe God knew that you just weren't ready to be a mom. Oh, wow. Oh, and I'm so sorry. <laughs> yeah. Thanks. Um, and so that kind of just caused me to think because I just did not understand why God, you know, would open a womb and allow a pregnancy to occur. And then just to take it away, just to teach me a lesson that I wasn't ready. Um, yeah. So I was deeply hurt by that. And that kind of caused me to also kind of drift away from faith because I was, I felt like I couldn't trust God anymore to do what he supposedly was supposed to do, namely protect his kids. Um, <laughs> yes. And that seems uh, a basic part of the promise. Yes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so, yeah. Um, so I just kind of put faith on the shelf, I guess. I still felt, felt that pain, like the betrayal of, you know, not being taken care of, but um, I didn't know what else to do. I continued my education and then actually I became pregnant again. Uh, late in 2012 and I remember thinking it's like okay I before I got pregnant I think I I had this internal deal of of saying God you cannot like if you let me get pregnant again only let me get pregnant again if it then stays the pregnancy then I will be able to carry the term and so um I did actually have bleedings though, in, like in the first trimester, and I was super scared of losing the pregnancy again. And, yeah. um, but uh, I didn't, and so um, I was able to carry the term. But um, late during the pregnancy, I started ha like having massive anxiety again about the pregnancy and about the baby. And I had seen some things, you know, during my education and um, what can happen as a complication and I was just super concerned and I was for some reason I was just super afraid of the baby dying mm. before it was born like yeah I don't know why it was that but that was what I was afraid of yeah. and so at some point then I went into labor and uh, I remember you know we us getting to the hospital and then they hooked me up to them you know the um, 
the heart monitor and everything was fine. I was like, ah, finally, I'm here. I'm under supervision. Now everything's going to be great. And the delivery actually went fine up to a certain point. And then it suddenly just flipped something happened and we don't know really. And maybe I should trigger warn people like if you're pregnant maybe you don't want to listen to the next part uh, because it, it might trigger you um anyway so we don't really know what happened but just suddenly our baby's heart rate just dropped and so oh, yeah. um they called for an emergency c-section and um and i remember like just in this short period of being transferred into the OR, I was just thinking, I think this is happening because I wasn't uh, faithful to God. Oh, that was kind of the wow. thought I was having. It's like, no wonder I'm not under God's protection anymore. Uh, and no wonder this is happening to me. And so, yeah, the emergency delivered the baby and he had to actually be resuscitated for a short period of time, but then kind of came around and uh, they took, took him away to a neonatal uh, care unit just for supervision. Um, and when I woke up, he was already gone and uh, they told me he was fine, but he needed to be like supervised for 24 hours and didn't transfer me to him for like another 12 hours because they didn't have like an opening. So that was super traumatic. And I was just, um, yeah, I was just in complete shock and, uh, I was kind of relieved that they said everything was going to be fine, but then everything was not fine because he then actually had a seizure after 20 hours. Oh, okay. And then they discovered that he actually did have brain damage um, from the oh, delivery. No. So he had a massive stroke and, uh, and uh, um, a hemorrhage also in his brain. And so, and then suddenly we were, you know, in this hospital situation with this newborn baby that had a massive brain damage and, having to deal with the fact that he will probably be severely disabled. Mm. Um, and I remember, you know, being there and thinking, I need to get back into faith. I just, I need to, you know, because I, as a doctor, I kind of knew that brain damage is not reversible. And so um, I was like, I, I realized, okay, my only option is for a miracle to occur. Nice. <laughs> you know, you, yeah, you yeah. suddenly start believing in miracles. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> when yeah. you're in a situation like this. Yeah. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, when we were discharged after a while, he was kind of doing okay. So we could go home. Um, but we did, we did, like, they told us they couldn't tell us what was going to, you know, become of him, how he was going to develop. They just couldn't tell us. Mm-hmm. And so we did not know. And so I, uh, at that point, went to a Christian counselor because I was like, okay, listen, this happened and I just kind of need to get back on the good side of (laughs) God. Um, uh, And uh, somehow convince him to heal my, uh, my son's brain. You can imagine what happened. Um, I very shortly after that dove headfirst into charismatic Christianity. (laughs) (laughs) Surprise, surprise. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) By that time, I had actually finished med school and also like started my first job in general surgery. And I thought it was awful because, um, you know, we had a lot of cancer patients and stuff. And I was like, oh, my goodness, I need something much better than what we can do. And at that point, I was I just got in contact with um a 
relatively big charismatic church in Berlin and, okay. you know, started hearing sermons about healing. It's like, this is exactly what I need. <laughs> you know, can I expound on something you just said there? I think that's Absolutely. really interesting. Absolutely. Go ahead. Really interesting, interesting as a doctor. Mm-hmm you recognize kind of the limits of medicine yes. and there are real limits. That's just a fact of life. Yes. And then that, that desire to go beyond that. Like I want to yes. heal my patients. I want my son to be healed. And like, what a natural desire, especially as a, as someone who goes into the medical field, you want yeah. to heal people, right? That's, that's what you want to do. Yeah. <laughs> so, and here's a group of people who are saying, ah, you can not only, you can do that or we can do that. And mm-hmm. you know, this is, this is the message we're trying to give to you. And, that would be very, very compelling. Yes. And I also thought, yeah, I mean, if there was a God who was all powerful and good and loving, why wouldn't he heal people? I mean, mm. it made sense, yeah. you know, on a yeah. certain um, basis. And also, you know, just reading the, the, you know, the Gospels, it also made sense in the context of Jesus's ministry, you know, constantly healing people. And that had always been kind of like a question for me. It's like, why isn't it happening now if it's the truth? Um, yeah. Shouldn't it then, you know, I, I think Jesus said something like, you'll do even greater works. And it's like, okay, where are they? I mean, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, I went to this church and I was absolutely flashed. And I thought, this is it. Um, this is where I need to be. I had this experience of what they call uh, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Uh-huh. Like the very first service, started praying in tongues. Whatever it was, (laughs) I had some sort of real experience and I thought, okay, finally, now everything's going to be good um, and everything's going to be fine and my son's going to be healed and we're going to change the world and Jesus is going to come (laughs) back soon, (laughs) the whole package. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And I mean, you know, the church was really nice, really nice people, really kind people. And they were super sincere and I was super sincere. And so I quit my job and joined the church staff. Oh, wow. Um, Okay. Yeah. Because I figured, you know, uh, I might as well become a prayer surgeon. (laughs) Rather than, (laughs) um, uh, yeah, because I felt like there's so many things, so many uh, diseases that I cannot heal. And maybe if I do that, I would be able to. I just want to stop again, just to acknowledge, you know, Please. how dedicated you have to be to say, I want to stop my career in medicine because I want, I want to go beyond medicine and heal people beyond that. So like mm-hmm. the, the, uh, the level of commitment that that takes, uh, you know, is, is very high. The why I bring this up is we so much hear the criticism of people who you were never really a question. Yeah, ex- exactly. Yeah. It's like, I, I think I can't, I, I can't even imagine what, you know, what that must be like to have that set of skills and still want to go beyond that and to dedicate your life to that in that way. So very dedicated, obviously. Yes. So I took it all super seriously and I was really hopeful and um, thinking, you know, if I figure this out, then um, I'm going to get my son's brain from heaven, Mm. uh, a new brain for him. Um, And plus, you know, I was really super, um, desperate also because you know as he was developing it became obvious that he had that he had severe developmental delay and problems with his motor skills and with his intelligence you know his iq and um so i was very aware that if nothing miraculous happened then we will have 
a severely disabled child for the rest of our lives. And um, I couldn't face that, you know, I just could not face the reality of pushing a wheelchair chair rather than a regular stroller for the rest of my life. And so I guess it was kind of also running away from reality and just grasping onto every straw that you can find. And in hindsight, I've, I feel like that is such a mean <laughs> dynamic because I feel like, anyway, I'll get back to that later. I'll say it for you that, <laughs> you know, people with real medical ailments or people yes. with, you know, real handicaps who go to healing ministries because that healing ministry says that they can yes. be healed. It is, it is cruel. It is. Those people, or in your case, the parent of someone. Uh, with disabilities. It is absolutely cruel. So I'll say yes. it for you. Thank you. And it's also deeply ableist, um, which I did not realize at the time. And yeah. um, well, obviously I see it now. <laughs> You're always smarter looking back, but yeah. Um, yeah anyway, so, um, you know, I read every book there was on, on supernatural healing. I um, read, I listened to all the podcasts and, um, did all of that, and I, I had the several have happened several times that I thought, okay, now I found the right theology. So now I found it. Yes. Okay, I was, <laughs> I was slightly off, but now I'm right, and now it's gonna work. And after like three or four or five times of these, uh, of this, you know, mental process, I was like, maybe something's not right. <laughs> maybe yeah. something's just off, and. What I also feel like is really annoying is that Christians keep coming up with increasingly ridiculous explanations of <laughs> of, of why certain things that everybody was super sure was going to happen and God promised actually don't happen. And it's always our fault, right? I mean, it's always since God is perfect and we're the only imperfect ones in this relationship, it's got to be our fault, right? Yeah, yeah. And that is such a, such a cruel dynamic of, you know, putting the responsibility and let's the blame of, of an illness upon the sick person or the, or the family of the sick or the family. Yeah. I, I was going to say, you know, on, on top of the stress of pregnancy and the, the real potential for things to go wrong. Mm -hmm. Also writing on that for you was, is God protecting me? Is our God's promises true to me? And then your natural tendency was to blame yourself a bit, like, you know, maybe I'm not in the right space mm -hmm. and that's why I'm not protected. And, you know, obviously none of that is true <laughs> as, you know, not your fault, it, mm -hmm. you know, it, yeah. it's, yeah, it's just, and that kind of pressure is cruel. Yeah. And, uh, it worsened my anxiety a lot. I can imagine. <laughs> so, um, I think also for people who have a tendency I'm not saying I have OCD, but I have OCD tendencies, I would say. Mm -hmm. um, religion is just cruel. It's just, it makes matters so much worse. Uh, yeah. I have heard some people say that, you know, they go through their day beating themselves up because they are not sure if they asked God whether they got the right beverage at, you know, their yeah. Starbucks or whatever. Um, it can be just totally crippling um, to the point where people aren't able to, you know, do their daily stuff.
so I was experiencing this growing frustration. And at some point, you know, everybody kind of pulls the mystery card. It's like, well, mm. I don't know why it's not happening, but I know God is good and I know he can be trusted. Even though we don't see any of it, uh, you can still <laughs> yeah. trust him. Right. <laughs> um, and at the same time, uh, um, a mutual friend of, or not friend, a an acquaintance, I would say, a person I knew, um, was actually diagnosed with ALS um, mm. during her first pregnancy. Um, so she was not even 40 yet, and she uh, was diagnosed with ALS during her pregnancy. And that was also one case that I kind of um, was not involved in, but I kind of... Um, saw how it all played out right. and how everybody was super sure that she was going to get healed of course and everybody was praying and everybody was trusting and um growing more and more desperate and as she was you know fading fast and um i just remember thinking it's like god look i mean we're here we're trying our best and i i just don't understand how you can let us grovel like that Mm. and not tell us what's missing so because you know we're willing so don't play the free will card on me because right. that's you know <laughs> always well people well free will so yeah but everybody wants her to be healed so that can't be the the problem yeah so right. and right. so i thought it was just so cruel to you know see his children um cry and beg and grovel and pray and fast and do all the things we need to do and just not tell us what the missing piece was so she could right. you know be restored anyway so and then um so we're in 2019 now and by the time i had developed like a serious conflict with my husband because i realized that he had kind of more or less deconstructed and okay. um i was super upset because i was like wait um i'm getting serious about christianity you know about charismania and he had kind of like when even when I joined the church staff, he was like, don't do this and you're going to regret this. And he was not supportive of it at all, uh, which I now understand. But back then I was like, wait, I'm the righteous one here and you should re <laughs> repent. Yeah, you're holding me back. You're holding yes. me back. <laughs> and you're the reason that our son's not getting healed because you're not committed yeah. and you are the head of this household type thing. And so... um looking back on this, I was like, Oh, my goodness, what did I do? I treated him <laughs> so poorly. Um, well, he was just being honest. But at that point, I just could not get over it. Um, because everything, you know, makes sense in that theological framework until it doesn't inside the bubble, you have yes. so much reinforcement. Yes, you know, every source of information is reinforcing it. Every person you talk to is reinforcing it. And so yes. someone outside of the bubble who says, Wait a minute, maybe that isn't true. Just, it doesn't yeah, it doesn't compute. <laughs> you know, there's no way you can take that information in. Yeah. Well, actually, and that's it's also built in into the theology that you know people just say, "Well, they're deceiving you. They're out, yeah, they're, yeah. they're from the world. What do you expect?" Right. <laughs> anyway, right. and so um, I was also not sure whether our marriage was even going to make it through because we were in such conflict about this. And I was like, you promised me that we were going to be a Christian couple and now you're not in faith anymore. And so I had to, you know, listening to your podcast, I had to think about that so many times, like, Oh goodness, I was, I was the wife who was really giving her husband a hard time. And, uh, I'm so sorry. Um, 
<laughs> hindsight is 2020. I, I yes. totally, you know, I totally get it. You know? Yeah. 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 Uh, so that's the end of 2019 where we're now in the story. And um, during that time, my mom, she had already not been feeling well for several months. Um, okay. And then we went to visit my parents. They live here in Berlin, uh, kind of close. Um, and I had not seen her for like three weeks or so. And I, we, we went to visit them and I was just shocked about how she looked. And as humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders. From ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities, CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. I didn't realize that she had been um, in bad, such bad health. And I, you know, my my uh, parents then told me that like her hand had been kind of having a tremor for a while. And I was like, when are you going, when were you going to tell me about this? Um, and uh, that was a Sunday night. And then Monday she called me and she was like, uh, uh, I'm feeling nauseous and I'm, I'm having a, like a vertigo and what should I do? And I was like, you need to go to the hospital and get a CT scan fast. Um, and so I urged them um, to just go see a doctor, like go actually go to the you know emergency room now and, and get a scan, right. which is what they did luckily. And um, by that time I was kind of, I, I already knew with my medical brain what was gonna come of this, but I just kind of tried to repress it as long as it wasn't on, on paper, but um, they did find the brain tumor. That was like, it, it came as a huge shock to me and it didn't because I, I'm a doctor and I see stuff. Um, yeah. And I, I remember, and then, you know, Chris, it, yeah, it was Christmas and then she had surgery to remove part of the tumor. And, um, then the histological results came back um, that it was a high-grade glioblastoma, which was pretty much, you know, a fatal disease. Um, and at that point, I suddenly realized she's going to die and she's not a Christian. And then, and that suddenly triggered, like re-triggered my hell anxiety from when I first, you know, yeah. started with Christianity. And sent me spiraling into a huge panic attack. That was the worst one of all the ones that I've had 
up until that point, that was way worse. And um, my my um, mental health declined so fast that I actually had to um, go to the hospital and get help because I couldn't sleep anymore. I couldn't eat anymore. Mm. And so I talked, I called my pastor and I was like, I'm, I'm really struggling. This is what's happening. And he was like, well, obviously it's, you know, uh, it's a demonic attack. Oh, no. yeah. <laughs> um, and um, that was just, it was, it was absolutely totally awful. Um, and so I, I had to go in and, and get treatment because I wasn't able to sleep anymore. And after a few days without sleep, you go crazy. Yeah. <laughs> um, so at that point, I was so massively anxious uh, that I needed medication to even be able to sleep. And I realized at that point that I, um, I hated God. <laughs> you know, mm. I was confronted with this whole hell uh, subject again with eternal conscious torment, which had never made complete sense to me. Um, but my, my thinking went like, well, okay, so this is what's going to happen. She's not saved. She needs to get saved. Otherwise, she's going to go to hell. And if I don't tell her, her blood will be on my hands, right? Mm, That's what Ezekiel yeah. says. If you did not warn them, you, their blood, I will demand uh, their blood from your hands. Yeah. And um, at that point was the first time I realized that I actually hated God, um, mm. which I had never been able to own up to uh, be because I, you know, because I was afraid um, of him, of his punishment um, and I couldn't own up to the fact that I actually hated this abusive deity that I was having a relationship with. Yeah, yeah. Um, because he wouldn't like that. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah. it really, it really is a, an abusive relationship. In that, like, you know, anything, anything good is is to their credit. Anything bad is my fault. Yes. And yeah, it's just yeah, and it's an it's ongoing narcissistic. Cycle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> And um, you know how they always say uh, that Christianity is not a religion, it's a relationship? Right. That makes it way worse, right? <laughs> yes, it's, yeah, yeah. It's, it, it just, uh, it's not just a belief system, it's an abusive relationship with an abusive deity. <laughs> yes. I went to the hospital where I stayed there for several uh, weeks, actually getting treatment. And um, I was slowly able to kind of emerge out of this, which I think now is, was kind of a PTSD response, like trauma response um, of fight and flight or freeze. And um, I remember being there and ironically enough, there was so many people of faith in that mental health uh facility okay and i was just thinking hmm, how come all the christians who were supposed to you know be so satisfied and have the full life and be so loved by the heavenly father end up in this medical care facility how is that um so that that did not make sense and i remember and they were, you know, the, the the medical professionals there, they were really kind and nice and very trying to help me. But I remember talking to this one uh, therapist and she was like, so I, I, I wasn't even able to tell her the full story because I was so ashamed of the theology I was still believing um, and of the abusive God that I was trying to still please and appease. Um, and 
so I just told her parts of it. I couldn't like tell her fully. And she was like, well, if the teaching at your church is too strict for you, just go find another one. <laughs> and I was like, no, no, you don't get this. You don't yeah, get it. Yeah. <laughs> you don't understand what this is. And um, yeah, in hindsight, uh, it was just really enlightening to me to then find the work of Marlene Winnell and the... the um, religious trauma syndrome as a as a word to describe what people um, are going through when they are um, indoctrinated with stuff like eternal conscious torment. Yeah, you've mentioned the hell anxiety and mm -hmm. just the panic attacks and things like that. And you, you said specifically, you know, your body was having a reaction. Yes. And it's that it's that part of the religious trauma that until you find that term even and discover this is a thing that people have experienced. Mm -hmm. You can finally feel like, oh, I'm not alone. It's not just me. And I think mental health professionals are not yet educated at all no. um, on this subject. So it's really tough to find anybody who has any experience. Um, so at that point, you just feel isolated and alone. And you feel like, okay, everybody in church doesn't seem to struggle with this. And is it mm -hmm. just me? Um, yeah, so that was kind of rough. And um so I was there um, and I was slowly starting to get better and also so slowly starting to realize I need to get out of this. Um, mm, yeah. Because up until that point, I had always felt like, you know, the small child that's kind of afraid of their dad and begging him not to beat them. You know, it's like, I'll do anything that you want. Just don't punish me. Don't beat me. And I've, I, I remember that I felt this shift into, you know what? I don't care what you do to me. I just hate you. Um, mm. And nothing that you do is going to change that. Um, so it kind of felt like, you know, going through the religion, uh, the um, the puberty phase of rebellion that I never yeah. had because I was always <laughs> so, so responsible and trying to be so nice and pleasing to everybody. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I remember feeling that that was like the first point of empowerment that I felt in this whole process. Like, you know what? Nothing that you do can make me love you or make me stop mm. hating you. Um, and so at some point I started to realize, no, 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 there's something within me that's that's actually true and that's safe. And uh, there's something, a space within my heart that I can actually feel safe in. Mm -hmm. um, and so then I start, slowly started kind of climbing out of the depression and um the anxiety that I was experiencing with the help of medication, but um, I didn't have to stay on that forever. So okay, I think it's just absolutely, totally wonderful that we have those medications to just get over this phase. Um, yeah. The counseling as well. Mm -hmm. So yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And yeah. And then I remember we were, we were having a meeting at the hospital with one of my doctors and my husband and I, and talking about, you know, how long I was going to have to stay and he was like, well, you're you're going to probably have still have to be here for some time. And uh, at that point, it was March 2020 and COVID started oh, hitting wow. uh, Europe. And uh, and then I was I kind of said to him, yeah, but, you know, if we have a COVID lockdown, which is a word that did not exist at that point. Right. I would <laughs> I would rather be home with my family. And I remember him going, it's like, yeah, uh, <laughs> don't you worry. Don't you worry. <laughs> And two weeks later, oh. we had a COVID lockdown. Oh, I was like, no. I yeah. told you people. <laughs> that yeah. was not my anxiety. That was actually correct. Um, yes. Yeah. Anyway, and so 
at the, yeah, they actually told us, listen, this hospital is going to be put on lockdown and uh, you're not going to be able to leave. Nobody's going to be able to come see you. And uh, daycare is going to close also. And so I was like, I'm going to go. <laughs> I'm just, I'm, I'm going to go home. I can't stay. I just need to go good home. For you. Yeah. Yes. And so actually that was really good for me to actually propel me out of this hospital because I, you know, otherwise it takes really long to actually come to the point. It's like, now I'm ready to go because you never feel like you're ready. And so, um, yeah, I left on a Friday, Monday morning, I went to my uh, GP and got my medication prescription and, um, Tuesday, the lockdown started. And then wow. I was home with my son for eight weeks. And that was a time that was, obviously, I was super bored because everything was closed. You weren't supposed to do anything except maybe go for walks. Um, and so I read massive amounts of, of, of stuff, of podcasts, of books, uh, blogs, whatever, trying to figure this thing out. Um, but at that point, I was still kind of really fundamental. I was like, I'm going to figure this out and I'm going to find the truth and I'm going to be certain about it. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, but I was really, uh, really thankful that I had this kind of space of I don't need to go to church and I don't need to go to work because I was still on church staff. Um, because I couldn't, because we were in lockdown. Um, and so that was really the time where most of my deconstruction then happened and um, throughout the lockdown. And then at some point, I, uh, I, I knew I had reached the decision to, to quit. I mean, I knew I couldn't go back to work because I didn't believe in this stuff anymore. Um, and so I talked to the church leadership and I had been in contact with them and they were kind to me. It wasn't that they were you know, treating me poorly, but obviously they could not understand what I was going through. Um, and then I just explained that I needed to go for the reasons that I had. Right. And they also, they were kind, they agreed to, you know, with, to do it nicely and to just um, dissolve my, uh, my contract that I had. And okay. it, it was all very, yeah, kindly done, but still, I was like, "Listen, you people, something's going super wrong here." And at some point, you know, I I felt like, "Oh man, now I realize this is all a lie." And if I'm gonna go and tell them, they're obviously gonna see this, <laughs> which is not <laughs> what happened at all. Um, and that was also hard for me to deal with. Like, you have this realization, and you can you you cannot unsee it, as you said. But they were still like completely it's like, you are so absolutely fallen away <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. from faith. I think that's really, really common. Like, you know, you get to a point in deconstruction, deconversion where you just, you just know yeah. this is clearly not, not true anymore. Yeah. And then you go to your friends around you and you're like, can't you see this? And like, mm -hmm. it doesn't work, right? You mm -hmm. can't change someone's mind. And it's yeah. a really painful process of recognition that, oh, I, you know, I was there. I know what that feels like, and yes. I can't change their mind for them. It's it's really a hard thing to to come to grips with. Yeah, and I also remember feeling a deep sense of loss, loss of community, loss of friendships, and loss of God, who I really had invested so much into. And yeah, um, 
I mean, I spent a considerable amount of time trying to salvage my faith. You know, it's like, uh -huh. okay, I'm going to read every commentary. I'm, and then I kind of, you know, read more progressive stuff. It was like, uh -huh. okay, I'm going to read Love Wins and I'm going to try to piece together yeah. uh, a theology that I can actually uh, agree with. Um, and I don't know if you know the movie uh, Luther with Joseph Fiennes. Do you know that movie? I, you know, I haven't seen that one, but I can imagine. Yeah. Mm -hmm, yeah. So and there's this one scene where he's also having a panic attack and he's fighting with the devil. Um, so Martin Luther is. And yes, yeah. then his priest is coming in and sees him, you know, struggling and fighting and having this anxiety attack. And then he goes, so what are you actually looking for? And, and then Luther looks at him and he's like, I'm looking for a God I can love. Mm, and yeah. that. You know, that one line just touched me so deeply. It was like, yeah, that's what I'm looking for. I'm trying to find a God I can love and I cannot love this one because he's abusive. Mm. At that point, I came in touch with my, with my longing for that God. You know, at some point uh, you realize that, or I realized I wanted it to be true and I didn't like both it's yeah. like there there's an aspect of it that i so want to be true because i want there to be a good force that's looking out for us that loves me that cares about me um but i don't want the rest of it um which i guess christians would say is cherry picking but um i would just say it's 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 emotionally abusive it's it's a lot of grief too you, yeah. you've already you've basically said it you've lost community you lose potentially relationships with friends and, and potentially with family and that tight knit sense of a relationship, even though it was uh -huh. abusive, there's still a, that, that sense of someone who knows you and loves yeah. you the theoretically. <laughs> and that feeling of being known is deeply yes. satisfying. And so when you let go of that, you're grieving a lot of things. And then I'll add to that as well, that part of what Christianity does is delay real grief. So yes. the, the grief of the loss of your mom, the grief of the, like the development of the delayed parts mm -hmm. for your son and just mm -hmm. uh, accepting reality and grieving the expectations you might've had that kind of, all of those kinds of things, probably all of that comes down all at the same time and must be, you know, very difficult to get through. Yeah. And I think in the charismatic expression of faith, um, grief isn't really um, dealt with at all. Uh, no. because yeah. even if the person dies they were like well you should celebrate they're in heaven now and uh type thing right. and so uh yeah really processing grief was something that i had never learned you know um it was just really hard to figure that out on my on my own or on on our own yeah so that was what was kind of going on so i tried to salvage my faith parts of my faith um trying to maybe sh um see if i could be more progressive but it the slippery slope is really as slippery as they say it just <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> it just all came apart you know in my hands and um until nothing was left and then i suddenly at some point needed to own up to the fact that i was now no longer a christian um and yeah that was crazy <laughs> yeah and um yeah so um during that time also um the, the acquaintance that I had mentioned with the ALS, she had al also passed away. She had chosen mm, to okay. uh, discontinue life support. Um, and I remember going to see her grave or her, yeah, her grave. And um, I remember standing there and looking at this and just thinking, you know, 
there was just what the sentence that dropped into my heart where I was like, I'm never going to be able to tell anybody that God can be trusted. Mm. I, I won't be able to ever tell that to anybody again because it's mm. not true and nothing's going to change the fact that I experienced this. And there's no way to not, you know, have gone through this and to have come to this conclusion. And so that was really rough um, because I, I then also realized um that my son was not going to get his new brain that I had yeah. kind of uh, believed in, um, which was a huge part of, you know, grief. And I also, of course, then realized that my mom was not going to live um, either. And uh, that was a lot that came just kind of crashing down on me. But it also, like the, the pressure went away to con be, be constantly fighting with reality. I felt like for the first time I had the space to actually accept reality for what it is and to look it in the face and to then take it and work with it and deal with it and actually do something with it rather than, you know, just denying it all the time and just be fighting it. And so, yeah, that also, yeah, was, was helpful for me to be able to, accept my son the way he is with all his disabilities and to be able to then see him and work with him where he is at um, instead of constantly being frustrated that he uh, doesn't have a healthy brain. Um, so that took a lot of pressure off of, of our relationship. And I feel like it's better now than it was at that point where I, where I was just fighting against this state of, you know, being disabled um, and it also saved my marriage. <laughs> okay, all right. Because yeah. I have to say that because during the time that I was in, you know, in in the hospital and then just going through this deconstruction stuff, my husband was really amazing. Like he was, you know, he took care of our son. He took care of our apartment. He went to work every day. He did it all by himself. He did never once complain. Um, and I realized oh man, this guy is amazing. And I also realized that I had continuously, you know, started to resent the person I was becoming because of the stuff I believed. Mm. Um, yeah. And then also there was a massive outpouring of pent up anger. <laughs> <laughs> I can imagine. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> because that's another emotion that we really do not deal well in, uh, <laughs> in charismatic Christianity or yeah. generally in Christianity. Um, and I have to say, I'm still working through that. I'm still, I still have, I have times where I'm massively angry and where I just scream, you know, at the God that I no longer believe in to go f, f himself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, Brian Peck talks about how that anger is really important to, especially in the analogy of the uh, abusive relationship. It, yes. it, sometimes it's anger that pushes us out of the vicious cycle yes and it's valid it's it's good you know it's, it, it needs to be expressed yes and it has so much momentum that it actually causes you to move and that's what happened with me and i felt like there was so much energy within this anger that i actually couldn't stay where i was and it just pushed me out of this um yeah i mean out of victimhood i would say you know mm. um yeah. And um, so to, to just finish up that part of the story. Um, so I actually became pregnant again during that time. 
Okay. Because we had wanted a, a second child for a while. And uh, at that point, I felt like, hmm, if, if we get pregnant now, then maybe my mom will be able to actually meet um, her grandchild, um, um, which did not happen. So she passed away. Um, with lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. During my pregnancy, when I was oh, 20, 23 weeks pregnant, yeah. Um, but yeah, that's a whole different story that uh, I'm probably not going to cram into this episode, but um, just to, to just kind of finish up the story. So that's what happened. Um and I was able to, um, you know, do her funeral and stuff before then our second child was born, which was um, in July of 21. Our daughter was born by an elective C-section and she was born healthy. And yeah. Okay. Uh, so we have two kids now. <laughs> yeah. Congratulations. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's the most part of the story. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and now I'm, I'm here and... I don't know what to call myself. I don't really know if I need much of label anymore because, yeah. Yeah. Again, the thing I say all the time is this is the beauty of it, is that mm -hmm. you get to discover, you get to choose whether you take labels or not and which mm -hmm. ones to take. And it sounds like you've already done this a lot, but, you know, you also get to just go research, mm -hmm. you know, you know, what, what do other people think? What, yeah. <laughs> what are other people experiencing? And and there's just no limitations on what you can explore. And that's, it's painful, but it's also an exciting time. Yeah. Because there was always, you know, thoughts that came up that didn't really make sense. But you, during the Christian phase, you kind of always had to push them to the side and suppress them because you obviously you couldn't, you know, just allow them and then follow them because they might let you uh, lead you away from faith, you know, <laughs> and then you're going to fall away and uh, be lost. Um, so yeah, uh, so it's just nice to be able to be curious, you know, mm -hmm. <laughs> about yeah. everything. Yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, I guess agnostic would be the most correct label okay. at this point in time, um, which is fine with me, but, um, I kind of, I still kind of grieve the fact that, uh, it doesn't really meet my spiritual needs um, as much. So I still have this element of, of, you know, longing and of ache for there to be something better than this life. <laughs> I understand. I get uh, it. Yeah. <laughs> That's the human condition. Yeah. yeah. Not to proselytize, but my quick mm -hmm. response to that is I think that much of what Christians call the God shaped hole mm -hmm. in our hearts is yes. a people shaped 
is a people-shaped hole that we mm-hmm. we crave to be loved and known by one another and to yes. love and know each other and and that a lot of that draw towards spiritual things is really a draw towards connecting with other human yes. beings authentic connection yes yeah exactly yeah totally yeah. I thought also during this process, obviously you, you know, during this time I, I had to come to terms with the facts, like why did I ever get into this in the first place, you know? Yeah. And um, so then, you know, you read books or you listen to podcasts and you do therapy or whatever. And then it was a, a good way for me to start working through maybe unhealthy relationship dynamics that I had all along. And I feel like often like religious trauma or religious, um, yeah, religious trauma just kind of latches onto trauma that you already have Mm -hmm. from your childhood or whatever. Um, And I, I remember, you know, thinking about God and being so afraid of him and hating him for be for having to be afraid of him at the same time. Mm-hmm. And um, I just thought about the fact that I really, I already knew this feeling from earlier on, you know, because there were aspects in my relationship with my parents that felt similar. And um, I think, you know, as a child, you're the dependent one and you're the, the smaller one and the weaker one. And so you're dependent and, uh, you're at the mercy of, of your parents, right? And then you have a great need for attachment also. So you try to protect the, the, the relationship at any cost. So you will do whatever you, whatever your parent demands pretty much um, in order to protect the connection because you depend on that, right? Your survival depends on the connection to your uh, caregiver. And um, I realized I had just completely transferred that onto God 101. Because, um, you know, other people in the same situation would have maybe said, are you kidding me? Uh, I'm never going to worship a God like that, you know, and would have said that from the very beginning. But I was like, um, I was so um, already kind of groomed to tolerating abuse, I would say. Okay. That I then just accepted the fact that God was like that also and that he just got you know, he just gets to do whatever he wants because he's God. <laughs> mm, yeah, um, yeah. And um, yeah. And then the more I, I dove into that, I realized that God, the way I had conceptualized him was a really unhealthy person. Like yes, he, was, yeah. he was very egocentric and he was very immature and he was very narcissistic and he didn't take responsibility for his part of the relationship <laughs> at <Yes>. all. Right. <laughs> Um, and, uh, he didn't, you know, keep his own rules either. And, um, which I also found just really hurtful because I felt like, come on, I'm trying, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to make this relationship work. And why isn't anything with you working? Um, which I guess in, in a a parent child relationship, you would call parentification, right? Where the child just uh, assumes all the responsibility for the relationship, which I also did with one of my parents. And so, um, I felt like, you know, they were already like the neural pathways in my brain were already there. And then I just exchanged my dad for God. And there went my religious trauma. <laughs> yeah. I do want to hear before we wrap up, 
what you are finding useful now? Are you still seeing a therapist or, you know, do you have community anywhere or in any, any particular books or podcasts other than this one uh, <laughs> that, that uh, you find useful? Yeah, I wasn't sure how much we were allowed to name drop here. <laughs> yeah, you can you can name drop. It's fine. Yeah. Okay, I can name drop. Good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So uh, one thing that I did was um, I actually started an Instagram account, a small one, oh, okay. um, yeah. because I felt like that there were certain things that I was saying to the God that I no longer believed in, like constantly over and over, such as like. God, if you're constantly angry, maybe you should go see a therapist. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and I was saying these things in my head so frequently. It's like, I need to get this out of my system. So I started a, uh, a Instagram account um, where I uh, wrote out all my painful post Christian prayers, um, which is actually the name of the account. Um, and that was extremely cathartic. It was very helpful to just get it out of my system and then also see you know people starting to interact with my content and realizing oh i'm not alone with how i feel about this and um that's just been so very validating to realize okay no i'm not strange this is what other people are also experiencing and other people also find this abusive so i must not be totally off mm -hmm. and so that was very helpful um yeah and plus the online community um the the possibilities of the internet and social media to be able to connect with people all over the world because this is kind of a niche subject right it's yeah. it's kind of like it's a niche and because your non-christian friends don't understand what you're going exactly, through exactly your still christian <laughs> friends do not realize what you're going through on on the and tell you that you're you know falling away and you need to get back to church um and so it can feel very lonely. And so I found the internet, especially during the time of the pandemic, to be super helpful and um, to be to be able to connect with people. Yeah, and then uh, yeah, during that time where I was desperate to find resources, I just started, you know, googling the internet <laughs> yeah. for uh, for resources. And um, what I found very helpful was, um, I think. I came onto a YouTube recording or so of a podcast with a guy called John Steingart. Yeah. And he's, he was the lead singer of a Christian band and he publicly deconstructed. And up until that point, I had never heard of public deconstruction uh, much. And so I listened to that episode and it was actually, I think, an episode with uh, Phil Drysdale. Yeah. And uh, so I lis started listening to his podcast and that was very helpful, especially um, the episodes he has on spiral dynamics and uh, human psychological development and stuff, realizing that, oh, this is this this process of deconstruction that's happening to me is actually psychological growth. It's mm -hmm. actually the stage that you're supposed to be moving through once you get older. <laughs> and it's, uh, you know, then normal to actually lose your sense of certainty and to come to a place of realizing, okay, I don't know is a perfectly acceptable answer to almost any question. Exactly. Um, yeah. So that was very, very helpful. Um, and then also uh, the book Wayward by Alice Gretchen. I think you also had a podcast episode with her. So, yeah. So Alice is amazing. And yeah. I think yeah, I loved her. Her book was great. So Yeah. So I read her book and I was like, oh my God, this woman is so uh, eloquent and so very talented in, in describing this process and also the mental process of deconstruction. And I could identify very much with her and uh, just 
profited much from reading her book. And that was actually, I tried then to find podcast episodes with her. And that's how I came across your podcast. I see. Okay. Uh, yeah. And then listened to your episode with her. And that was very helpful. Um, yeah. The work of Marlene Winnell, obviously, um, uh, and her book, Leaving the Fold. Um, yeah. Those were and there are a thousand more. <laughs> I could go on sure. and on for yeah, hours. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Julia, I say all the time that when people tell their stories with real vulnerability, that that mm -hmm. has the biggest impact. And I think you went deep here today. I know this is <laughs> going to have an impact on people. I want to give you one more opportunity to say the Instagram account, and we'll have that in the show notes as well. Okay. But one more time, what's the Instagram account? Mm -hmm. It's called Painful Post-Christian Prayers. Um, so it started as just me writing out the prayers that I was constantly praying, <laughs> angry prayers at a God that <laughs> yes. I no longer believed in. And I guess it shifted a little more towards more, yeah, like a broader content. So it's not formulated as prayer as prayers as much anymore, but yeah. All so right. that's, uh, that's what I'm doing. And other than that, I'm working as a doctor in a hospital again. <laughs> Yay. So, oh, I'm so glad to hear that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that's fantastic. also one thing I'm super thankful for that I actually have a, a a vocation that I trained in that I was able to go back to after leaving professional Christianity um, because I realized that's something that some people don't have. And, you know, if you've been a pastor for 20 years and that's your only income, then deconstruction is a lot harder yes. <laughs> to accept. So yeah, I'm very thankful for that. Julia, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Thank you for having me. Final thoughts on the episode. Fuck purity culture indeed. I love Julia's honest expression of anger and anger even towards a God that she does not believe in. We'll talk more about this in the Secular Grace Thought of the Week section, but just to say here quickly that it is important to express your anger and frustration and not to bottle that up and feel like you're, you're not allowed to do so. Julia's story is heart-wrenching and also inspirational. The level of dedication that it would take to decide to leave medicine, to go into a what she believed to be a healing ministry because she wanted to actually heal people. That kind of dedication is so clear in Julia's story. She wanted the perfect Christian marriage. She wanted to do all the things right. But underlying all of this is a very painful sense that when she was young, she felt responsible for the eternal salvation of those around her. As she got older, she felt the responsibility for healing people, including her son, who was developmentally delayed due to the stroke after his birth. All of these things she felt on her shoulders, and when God didn't come through, the initial instinct is to think, well, I haven't done something right. The hardest line in the entire episode is when she was in the hospital having her difficult pregnancy. She said, I think this is happening because I wasn't faithful to God. That instinct is deadly and where the, the abuse in the church begins by instilling that idea that if you don't get what you pray for, it's your fault in some way is just horrifyingly abusive and wrong. And it breaks my heart for Julia. 
one of my favorite lines that she said is that she tried to salvage her faith, but the slippery slope is really just as slippery as they say. <laughs> I absolutely love that. I loved her sense of humor. And I celebrate with her that she was able to go back to the field of medicine and begin to, in her words, for the first time, she had space to actually accept reality for what it is. You can find Julia's work on Instagram at Painful Post Christian Prayers. That's definitely something you're going to want to check out. I want to thank Julia for being on the podcast and for truly going deep, being utterly vulnerable and honest about her story. This is why I do this podcast. It's these kinds of interviews that I think are really significant. And I hope that you heard a bit of your own story in Julia's. Thank you, Julia, for being on the podcast. The Secular Grace Thought of the Week is about anger. And what I have to say about anger is nuanced. So I'm going to begin with where I begin. And that is because the atheist movement tends to be pure anger, just rage and unbridled anger. And I actually started the podcast to counteract that, to say, if you're leaving faith, you may not want to burn the bridges behind you in a blaze of glory and destroy relationships with people with whom you might want to continue to be in relation. That was especially poignant for me because my wife is still a believer and I wanted to remain married to her. I love her very much. And what I saw, what was online, what was available was just everyone's stupid and wrong and I'm angry at them. So it's still true that I don't think that one should remain in anger forever. I don't think that you should remain in anger with the people around you. And of course, I personally don't believe that God exists. So being angry at God is kind of a difficult mental gymnastic. However, having said all of that, I'll retell the story here that my conversation with Brian Peck from the Religious Trauma Institute really pushed me to recognize the benefit of anger. And here's the benefit of anger. When you are in a, an abusive relationship, and that includes God, anger will get you out. When you are in a situation that is hurting you, anger will help you get out. So anger has its place. There is something important about being angry. And I think part of the grief process is, and I don't mean this in a simplistic steps of grief kind of way, but I think part of the grief process of loss, of the loss of faith, of the loss of a sense of relationship with God, of a loss of community, is to be angry about it. <laughs> And certainly to be angry about the abusive parts of religion, Christianity, whichever faith tradition you came from. Just listening to Julia's story makes me angry at the healing ministries that know they cannot heal real injuries, something beyond a headache or psychosomatic elements. And yet they make that promise. And that makes me angry. And I'll wrap this up with saying my recognition of my loss of faith was actually reading a Greta Christina article about why are atheists so angry. And it was a list of things that are perfectly reasonable to be angry about religion. When religion crosses the line from having personal faith and doing good works to abuse, manipulation, and 
hurting people, it's okay to be angry about that. And it was my recognition that I agreed with basically every point she had that I suddenly realized that I no longer believed. This podcast will continue to advocate secular grace, to love the people around you, including the believers in your life. But in no way am I saying something like the church, be angry and do not sin. What I'm saying is be angry as long as it's useful. And then at some point in time, come out of that and recognize that you cannot live in anger forever, that just being angry alone isn't enough. We have to actually connect with each other and love each other. And that does not mean accepting your abuser in any way. Almost every week I say that we've got some amazing interviews coming up, but we really do. Next week we have Arlene interviewing Treasure. I'm loving these conversations that Arlene has been doing, these interviews. Arlene has the ability to reach people that I can't. So if you have any hesitation, you want to tell your story, but you're uncomfortable doing so with me, please reach out to us. I'll get you in touch with Arlene and Arlene can conduct that interview. After that, we have Daniel, who's a member of our Deconversion Anonymous community, and he also has a background in psychology and social science. We have a really interesting conversation about the way evangelical organizations are trying to view deconstruction and and what it means to them and how they get things wrong. After that, we have Jessica Moore, who is a life coach trying to help people come out of purity culture. And more after that, we've got, I've got a bunch of things lined up. So this is just a, a really good season of interviews. Until then, my name is David, and I am trying to be the Graceful Atheist. Join me and be graceful human beings. Time for the footnotes. The beat is called Waves from Mackay Beats. Links will be in the show notes. If you'd like to support the podcast, you can promote it on your social media. You can subscribe to it in your favorite podcast application, and you can rate and review it on podchaser.com. You can also support the podcast by clicking on the affiliate links for books on gracefulatheist.com. If you have podcast production experience and you would like to participate with the podcast, please get in touch with me. Have you gone through a faith transition and do you need to tell your story? Reach out. If you are a creator or work in the deconstruction, deconversion, or secular humanism spaces and would like to be on the podcast, just ask. If you'd like to financially support the podcast, there's links in the show notes. To find me, you can Google Graceful Atheist. You can Google deconversion. You can Google secular grace. You can send me an email, gracefulatheist at gmail.com, or you can check out the website, gracefulatheist.com. My name is David, and I am trying to be the Graceful Atheist. Join me and be graceful human beings. This has been the Graceful Atheist Podcast. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. 
No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.